This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Uh, welcome to the Brooklyn Basketball Podcast. Evan Roberts, Mike Biseglia. We're going to spend the entire time talking about the Milwaukee Bucks and how they're NBA champions. So, Mike, right out of the gate, what did you think of game one, two, three, four, five, six? Go. All right. My honest opinion on that is I watched one minute of basketball and I did it because for the podcast that I do, Bad Weather Fans, I said, OK, I should watch some of these games because it's just good for me to know what's going on. I put on a minute of it in game two. I don't even remember which game it was, it was early. And I said, not happening. I'm starting a series called Lost. And that's where we'll go from here, which don't give any spoilers. I'm really enjoying it. So don't say anything if you have seen it. That's all I've seen of the NBA finals. But I heard there was some really cool play by True Holiday or something. <laughs> Dude, I got to tell you, man, I, I have witnessed many, uh, you know, World Series where the Mets had a near miss, Super Bowl where the Jets had a near miss. Uh, not really an NBA finals with the Nets having a near miss, I guess. I mean, there's been a few, you know, 2006, 2007, really 2004, but never in my life, this is by far the worst. Mm -hmm. Have I been more turned off in watching an NBA Finals or a World Series or a Super Bowl than this year? And it's not that we were the closest because technically, you know, the New York Mets in 2006 were closer. You know, the Mets even in 1999 were closer. I think it was the expectations. And I think it's the fact that you and I know and everybody listening knows that it should have been us, that we were better than the Bucks, We were better than the Suns. We were better than the Hawks. And I think that's it. Like, it's just this, I can't watch it because I know we're better. I know it mm -hmm. should have been us. And I'm I guess I'm sort of surprised that even though it's been over a month, bro, I watched less NBA finals than you did because mm -hmm. I couldn't put it on even during game six. When I kept reading on Twitter that Brooke Lopez was having a big game. I just couldn't bring myself to turning this garbage on. Yeah, I think I think maybe if somehow like it was the Sixers or the Hawks or something and not the Milwaukee Bucks in the final, I think I would have put more basketball on. But I do believe because it was Milwaukee, that's what made it even tougher because I did not want to have to turn it on and see them play. 
I was really turned off by the idea that the Milwaukee Bucks were going to be on the TV. And that's what scared me the most. I, I can't answer this for sure because it's not how history was written. But if, say, for example, the Sixers were healthy and they went on and won and they ended up playing the Suns, I think I would have turned on them at some point during the playoffs. I'm not saying I would have sat there and watched all the minutes of the NBA Finals like I typically have done in the past. But I think there would have been some TV turned on for me. It was the fact that it was the Milwaukee Bucks. I could not handle them. I could not handle watching them in the finals. That really, really got on my nerves. Yeah, no, and I get it because we beat them, you know, without James Harden being more than 50%, with Kyrie Irving being hurt. It felt like we basically beat them. We were this close to beating them. And it it makes it really difficult. And, you know, as time has moved on, I remember we did a podcast maybe a week or a week and a half after game seven. I said, we have to give it time before we really measure the pain of this. Uh, it's been over a month. It is, it's getting worse. Like it, it really is like watching Kevin Durant in the Olympics or hearing about Kevin Durant in the Olympics makes it worse. Giannis going to a Chick-fil-A ordering a 50 piece yeah. makes it worse. But here's my spin. Here's my positive vibe I get from this right now. James Harden should be stewing, you know, mm-hmm. because that's like the latest joke. Ooh, Giannis got the last laugh on James Harden. James Harden should be stewing. James Harden should be sitting there thinking, I've got to beat this team next year. I've got to get mine. And look, I'm not thinking Kevin Durant's doing that. He's at the Olympics. He's balling. He just loves to hoop. But James Harden has to be desperate. He has to look at this and say, you know what? We're going to kill you next year. We are going to slaughter you next year. And I don't know. Hopefully all that gets bottled together and becomes motivation. I mean, if I feel that way that you just described, Evan, I would really hope that James Harden does at the same point. And you've talked about this before, and this is what I'm playing in my head that I'm now, and this will like randomly happening when I'm doing different like Uber Eats deliveries, I'll play this in my head and just think about how much better the title will feel next year, knowing we went through this pain, went through this anguish of seeing the Nets just get their heart, get seeing our fans just get their the hearts ripped out of them and, and, and what happened, how the Bucks ended up winning. And I do believe that it'll make next year's title because it's going to happen that much sweeter. And it's just so crazy how the NBA gods work where Mike Budenholzer is on the verge of getting fired. If the Nets don't get injured, they win the series. He's out of a job. Now he's an NBA champion. It's just so crazy how these little nuances can change. And Kyrie Irving goes down on Giannis's ankle, James Harden in the first couple of seconds. I mean, everything went wrong for the Nets in that series, yet they found themselves up by five points with three, four minutes left in the fourth. Uh, and they just, uh, they just could not do, you know, Joe Harris couldn't, but we've done, we've, uh, we've talked, uh, we go back there, but you know, it's just, it's just, it's, uh, I don't know. All right. Enough. I hate parades anyway. Whatever. <laughs> I hate parades. All right. Let's do what we have to do. And that's start to look at this off season. So it, I, I think I've talked myself into now being annoyed if they don't bring back Spencer Dinwiddie and I, and I know they're probably not. And look, here, here's the bottom line. The Brooklyn Nets can offer Spencer Dinwiddie the most money. He's not getting a max contract, but they could offer him the most money. They don't have to worry about their salary cap in terms of going over the cap. They own his bird rights. The negative is the tax. Okay, they will pay a huge tax if they re-sign Spencer Dinwiddie. And I know he's negotiating through social media now. I think he said, hey, look, if the Nets give me four years, 125, sure, I'll come back. Here's the problem, and this is where I'm mixed. I know they're not going to pay him. 
I just know. I know that Joseph Tsai is not going to want to, you know, have that tax bill. And I'm pissed about it. I'm pissed about it because I don't know how long this window is going to be. I don't know if Kyrie Irving, James Harden, and Kevin Durant are going to stick around. I, I think they will, but I don't know for sure. And so here's a guy that we developed. Here's a guy that we was a part of our culture. Here's a guy that's coming off this brutal injury, but he's worked his ass off to come back. And the idea of him going elsewhere just makes me sick. And there's no benefit to letting him walk away other than a billionaire owner saving some money. And every time I see a tweet about Joseph Tsai's mansions or how much net worth Joseph Tsai has, I know I shouldn't do this. I know it's not healthy. Like he's earned that money and God bless him. But it pisses me off that they may let Spencer Dinwiddie go, not Biseglia because, well, it'll hurt their salary cap. It has no bearing on their salary cap. They're over the salary cap. They would literally let him go because of a goddamn tax. And as we get closer to D-Day, that pisses me off. Well, can you answer this question for me? Because this kind of confuses me. And I think this will help bring some clarity to me and understanding. When people are like, oh, they might do a sign and trade and do something where they bring people back. Wouldn't that entail then just be the same thing on the salary cap numbers? But the only difference is you have player B instead of Spencer Dinwiddie. Is that, does that all make all the sense or maybe because it's less years it wouldn't be uh consumed over his amount of time like wh what's the deal there because i get confused when people are like oh we could do a sign and trade and at least get something in re in return and i'm going well if you're gonna sign him and bring back another player where the salary's got to be sort of equal unless you're getting one hell of a deal why would you want to do that so that, because, that confuses me well the the answer to that is because if a team has cap space or has a little bit of room they don't necessarily have to match up the money. So you may not necessarily being you may not necessarily bring back the $25 million. Okay. I, I know in one of the rumored, and I don't even know if it's a rumored trade or just a configured trade with the Lakers where we would get back Kyle Kuzma and a first round pick. Uh, how much does Kuzma even make? And I don't even know how the Lakers would have that room to make it work. Makes no but, sense. <laughs> that's a that's a part of the salary cap thing that's a little confusing. Look. Here's the thing about the sign and trade. All right. And I don't think I, Kuzma doesn't make a lot of money. I think he makes like three or four million dollars, something like that. Or actually, no, he signed an extension. So he's got to make yeah, more he than signed that. three for 39 when he signed. So That's about 13 right. a year. So 13 a year. So they wouldn't be bringing back an equal number if they did a sign and trade in that regard. The sign and trade doesn't piss me off as much as simply letting them go. Because look, there are three options here. Right, there are three scenarios on how this is going to play out. They keep Spencer Dinwiddie, which I would be ecstatic about. I think you would be ecstatic about it, too. We'd all be very happy. Okay? Mm -hmm. Number two is he just signs elsewhere. You know, a team with cap space signs him. The New York Knicks sign him. The Dallas Mavericks sign him. You just pick whatever team you want. Somebody signs Spencer Dinwiddie. We get left with nothing. And then choice number three is the sign and trade. Logic would tell you that that's the likeliest scenario because it benefits Spencer. It benefits the Nets. And from a Caps perspective, it may even benefit the other team involved here, even though they're giving up some aspects, mm -hmm. some, some, some talent. The problem is there's no sign in trade. I think we'd be okay with like, I can't even put together a sign in trade where you and I would say, well, that's a great return. I'd rather have that than Spencer Dinwiddie. That's not going to happen.
So even if it's door number three, a sign and trade, the Nets got worse. And why did they get worse? They got worse because the billionaire owner didn't want to pay a few million dollars in tax. You've talked about this with the Mets a lot. And it's, you know, there comes a point where you only have so much money and you have to look at what's going on for your future. So, well, let me, let me pose it this way. If they're thinking about, well, we need to re-sign Durant, Kyrie, and Harden, and we are going to go crazy high with salaries. And yes, I have all this money. At some point, you have to be like, okay, it's business. If I get Spencer at 5-125, and now I'm bringing back three of the best 10 players of the last 10 years, could you understand from that perspective, yes, you're a billionaire, but it comes to a point where it's like, oh my goodness gracious, I'm getting taxed out my ass. I can't take this anymore if you want to get the three superstars to stay long-term. Yeah, and you know what else I think about? And we kind of touched on it before, that all of these guys have a player option for next year. And I have always said I have a confidence KD is going to stick around. I think the last team Durant plays for is going to be the Brooklyn Nets. I don't know about James Harden. I mean, I don't think it would stun you or me that if James Harden and the Nets win a title next year, he says, all right, I got my title. I'm going to go somewhere where there's a lot of strip clubs. You know, I'm just going to I'm going to go to Miami or whatever it is. So I don't know what the future holds for all three guys. Spencer Dinwiddie is a talent. Now, he's not a Hall of Fame talent. He's not as good as the big three. But I like knowing he's in the fold for the next four years. And if mm. I lose James Harden, and now I, I still have Dinwiddie, I still have Kyrie, I still have Kevin Durant, I'm developing Nick Claxton, I feel good about what this team looks like moving forward. So if I'm Joseph Sy, it's not just, hey, this gives me a better chance to win an NBA championship next year. It's also, what does my roster look like two years from now? Three years from now? Oh, I've got Spencer here. Oh, I'm going to have one of the three stars here. And I think about that because if all of these guys leave or one of these guys leave or two of these guys leave, you're going to want to surround them with talent and you're going to look for players like Spencer Dinwiddie. And this is one of those rare moments where the salary cap isn't hindering you. You have Mm -hmm. his bird rights. You can keep them. So that's another aspect that's on my mind. And look, that's going to be on both of our minds because we're long-term net fans. We're not here for just a couple of years and then, oh yeah, we'll go root for another team. This is our team forever. And so you are thinking about what this looks like three, four years down the road. It'll be interesting to see what happens. Let's say hypothetically the Nets did give Spencer a really nice deal. And then another team combated with the similar type of offer. I'm not saying, I know the Nets can offer the most, but let's be realistic in what they give them. And it's a great offer. And Spencer's got an opportunity to be the lead dog somewhere, the lead starting point guard somewhere, where he's going to get a bulk of the minutes. He's going to play 35, 36 minutes. He's going to be one of the key components to a new team. Or with that option, hey, you're here with the Nets. You've got a great chance to win a championship, but you're, you know, you're the, fifth or fourth or fifth fiddle here on this roster you're most likely coming off the bench you're going to end up starting 20 games anyway when Kyrie Irving disappears but the point is you're not going to be the main guy like you could be in another place I'd be curious where he and he said in that one that one interview like hey if they offer me this I'll come to Brooklyn but if if the cards are on the table and he's offered two similar contracts I'll be curious if he would decide, and Joe side does the right thing, Evan, if he says, you know what, I want to be a part of Brooklyn. They developed me. They grew me here. I have a chance to win a championship. Yeah, I'm going to be the sixth man. Or, hey, I, I can end up going to Dallas. 
and being the third best player on the roster, or, Hey, I can be going to the Knicks and help develop them from a, you know, a mid-level team to a much better playoff basketball team. I'll be curious where Spencer would decide to go in that yeah. direction. If given the two options, uh, just reading the tea leaves on it. And I guess the tea leaves are the interviews he's done. It sounds like it's about geography more than anything else that, and I get this, I respect this. He wants to go home. So if the LA Lakers or LA Clippers can somehow work out a sign and trade or a deal for him to go to Southern California, that that would be his preference. And I, and I honestly do respect that. I remember when John Olerud signed with the Mariners for less money than what the Mets offered as disappointed as I was, I, I got it. You want to go home. I respect that. I don't know about the team aspect. Like I'm not convinced I thought about this a while ago where I said, yeah, maybe he would want to be a lead guy. Maybe minutes matter to him. Being an all-star matter to him. I, I think if it's the Knicks and the Nets, and I only use them as an example because geography now doesn't matter, right? The geography is the same. He doesn't even have to move if he signs with the Knicks. Completely different jobs. You know, you go to the New York Knicks, you have a chance to be an all-star next year because the ball is going to be in your hands. You're a featured guy on that roster. You're a star. You're one of the big two, three guys with R.J. Barrett and Julius Randle. You go to the Nets or you stay with the Nets. Yeah, your minutes, your ability to be an all-star, your chance to be a star on this team is diminished because you're not James Harden, because you're not Kyrie, because you're not Kevin Durant, but you have a much better chance. I don't mean to be a dick about it, but you do have a much better chance to win an NBA championship. I don't know. I'm starting to think the Nets have that edge where – I mean, every player's dream is to win an NBA title. You know, we're mm -hmm. seeing guys chase rings. We're seeing Blake Griffin say, hey, I want to win a ring. Spencer Dinwiddie is not 22 years old. So I think it's getting paid, which he should. But I think it would also be what gives me the best chance to win an NBA championship. So I'm not as worried about he may not want to be here because he's not the featured guy anymore. I think what worries me is that the Nets aren't willing to meet the asking price of other teams. Because, look, I don't think anyone's offering him four years, 125, just to be fair. It's not do the Nets offer him that. It's can the Nets match what other teams are willing to offer him? Can they beat what other teams are willing to offer him? And I don't know. I have this feeling Sean Marks is thinking sign and trade. Like his conversations with Spencer are going to be like, hey, let's figure this out where it works for both of us. And they're not mm -hmm. even interested in bringing him back. I would say that's what I Sean Marks always has a plan with a plan with a plan. And if, if I had to take my guess to, there's a trade that happens knowing what you had just told me before and the salary idea, I think a trade happens. I'd be, I'd be stunned if they bring him back because there's been no, when, when Joe Harris was a free agent, all the indications were like, Joe's going to be back with the Nets. Like we, we had that distinction. We had that understanding. We had a scare with the Hawks at one point. But the idea was Joe Harris is going to be back with the Nets. He grew up here. He developed here. The Nets want to bring him back. They feel like he fits in this championship mold with what they have around him. I don't get the same sense with all of the pre-talk with Spencer Dinwiddie. And I use these guys as an example because these are the OG Nets from when they were terrible and they've developed. And now they're here on this championship level roster. I felt with Joe Harris yeah, they're going to bring him back. And I was nervous of whatnot because that's just what we are. We're nervous. But we always thought in the back of our pocket, we're like, yeah, he's probably going to be back. With Spencer, I don't get that indication at all. Yeah, I, I'll say it right here, and I hope I eat these words. I'd be stunned if he's back. I really would. I'm at the point where 
I'd be really, really, really stunned if the Brooklyn Nets are able to re-sign Spencer. Now, here's what's interesting. So we've got four significant free agents. That's how I would define it. Four guys on our roster who are big pieces, who matter. They're all free agents. And I want you to rank the importance on bringing these guys back. Now, obviously, all very different kind of free agents in terms of what they're going to be offered how much it's going to cost the Nets, what the market's going to be. So here are the four guys. Obviously, Spencer Dinwiddie. Bruce Brown is a restricted free agent, okay? So the Nets could match an offer sheet if someone gives him an offer sheet, and somebody will. I think Bruce Brown's going to be a very valuable, attractive free agent. Jeff Green, can't forget him, veterans minimum a year ago, and Blake Griffin, all right? Yeah. Dinwiddie, Green, Brown, Griffin, in order of, because look, all four are not coming back. As much as I'd sign for all four coming back, like, and I would call it a day and say, that's my offseason. Let's go develop Nicholas Claxton. Let's call it a day. That's not going to happen. So in order of preference, those four guys go. That That's the hardest question you've ever posed to me on this podcast. <laughs> and there's been hard questions. I mean, it's just because they all Evan, have their roles individually and they all bring a different aspect to the game. And they were all, I mean, well, Dinwiddie know for this past season, but Brown, Green, Blake, they were all so important for this Nets team this past season. That's, that's seriously a very difficult question. And I'm stalling here to try to figure out my answer. Oh man, that is like, I guess we'll start with Spencer. I think he's number one, the Kyrie um, having a backup to Kyrie, somebody that we know can, can score and assist and defend. I think it's Dimwitty one and you put him aside from there, my gut reaction. And I, then I start to say like, how could you think that is Blake, Jeff green, Bruce Brown, but then I started to think like how valuable Bruce Brown was in all of these games and the spark he gave and the defense and the floaters. And then I said, well, Jeff Green hits the threes and those big dunks that he had. And well, Blake Griffin, it, it, that's my gut. I'll go with it. But I don't feel confident at all with that answer. And you could easily, and you, any Net fan could tell me reasons why I'm wrong. And I would, I would honestly take a serious listen about it because that was just my gut. Yeah. That was the first thing that came to my head, but crap, man, I could go in all different directions well, with all of those guys. That's really difficult. You, you know, what's funny. The more I think about it, if you go based on need, if you go based on what is already on this roster and what we already have, I could make a fine argument. I know it defeats the first 20 minutes of this podcast, but I could make an argument Dinwiddie's last because of, well, we have Kyrie Irving. We have James Harden. Bring back Mike you James. Uh, you know, from a from a need standpoint, from a, hey, this team has enough offense. Hey, this team has enough playmakers. Uh, but I, I would stand by Dinwiddie being number one. And I think a part of that is emotional. And I think a part of that is thinking more than just this year. Thinking and about. Let me just, let, let me just say yeah. this real quick. Evan. I just want to, I'm sorry to interrupt, but I just say, after what we saw in the playoffs with how the offense got so stale, I would have felt good knowing you had Spencer on the court because he can score the ball. And I think about playoff basketball in tough spots. He's another guy that's a playmaker. So I just want, I just want to leave that well, out there with Spencer. We should mention this because it's amazing. We haven't, is there any concern he's coming off a torn ACL? Uh, you know, it's funny because every other team that talks about him says that, 
I guess maybe because of the Kevin Durant injury, this this could be come back to haunt us. But I think because of how well we saw KD come back from the injury, we're just like, this is what our guys do. They come back and they dominate. So I think we've forgotten about that. But it's a it's a very true point. He he might not be as good, but also to the same fault. Four years in the league, five years in the league before that, he missed twenty games. He's really reliable and stable. It was yeah. that one bad well, injury. He's not an injury-prone player. It's just the one injury. And, and and you know what's so perfect about Dinwiddie being re-signed by us? We're not going to put pressure on him to play big no. minutes. I mean, no, no, clearly no. with the way this roster is built, with the fact that Sean Marks has shown, not just last year with the Stars, a conservative nature in terms of guys coming back from injuries and managing minutes, like Spencer Dinwiddie can really kind of slowly get himself back into action as a member of the Nets. Right. Exactly. If a team like the Knicks, and it's part of why, you know, I try to be not biased about this because obviously I love Dinwiddie. We hate the Knicks, but I, you know, I'm on the radio. I want to be fair about what the Knicks should do or not. It really is a bad marriage in terms of Tom Thibodeau is going to play him huge minutes. And I don't really have an issue with Tom Thibodeau playing guys, huge minutes, but Spencer Dinwiddie coming off an injury like that, that is kind of scary. Like, that's not an ideal spot for him to have to come back, prove himself to a new fan base, and play huge minutes. While with the Nets, you don't have to do any of that. So I think he probably, and I don't know if Spencer's going to think about it this way. And look, I guess you could argue same thing with the Lakers if he ends up with the Lakers or Clippers, that they could take it easy with him too because you know they're going to be playoff teams. But it, it, it does seem to be a perfect fit coming back to Brooklyn. But either way, I'm going to agree with you and say Dinwiddie's number one. Now, my order is very different, all right? And I mm -hmm. want you to understand where I'm coming from. I'm I, Look, I can't, no one's right or wrong here because these are four right. guys that we all want back. Like, if you told me right now, this is the offseason, you're bringing back all four guys I mentioned, Dinwiddie, Jeff Green, Bruce Brown, and Blake Griffin, I'd be thrilled. I really would. I'd say, that's ah, a great offseason. Let's go. So my number two guy is Bruce Brown. He's not my number four guy the way you did it. Because here's the thing about Bruce Brown you got to keep in mind. Besides the fact that we know how tenacious he can be defensively, we know about the energy he brings, his beautiful floater. He's 24 years old. Mm -hmm. And so you're talking about a guy whose game can only get better. And I expect it to get better. And so you are not looking at the necessarily finished product. Blake Griffin and Jeff Green are the opposite. They are past their primes. Now, they're still valuable. They can still help you, but they are not a guy who's ascending. And I think Bruce Brown comes across like the kind of guy who, look, maybe he does develop a corner three. Maybe he does develop a little bit more of an offensive game. Maybe he does become more of a three and D kind of guy, but he already gave a lot to this team from an energy standpoint, from a rebounding standpoint, from a defensive standpoint. And at 24 years old, I'd hate to lose him. So I'd actually put Bruce Brown number two. Number three between Blake and Jeff, I'd actually say Blake Griffin because as great as Jeff Green was, and he was, especially in game five, because that's a blowout without him, he feels replaceable. You know what I mean? Like the veterans minimum guy, the guy who's chasing a championship, the guy who has a lot of postseason experience. I love Jeff Green. Again, I'd love to bring him back. But he feels a little bit more replaceable than the other guys. Blake Griffin, I still think, has something left in the tank. And I think he showed that to us in the time he was here. And you talk about energy and leaving it all on the floor. 
And maybe I'm biased by that moment in which he was wrestling on the ground for a loose ball in the postseason and Barkley Center found its soul. But I'd put him ahead of Jeff Green. So I'd go Dinwiddie one, Brown two, Griffin three, Jeff Green four. Okay, after seeing playoff basketball, I know what you're saying. First of all, my mindset is all about next season. So I can't even go to all those years. And I, and I know what you said about Dinwiddie was a good point and how he could give some some insurance down the line if things happen. But my mind is so about next season, and I just keep thinking about in playoff basketball what they need. And I know Bruce Brown had one of those great games versus the Bucks. Uh, he did end up missing that one shot, but he had in game three it was. But he it felt like in the playoffs for the Nets, the guys that had the most value were Blake Griffin and Jeff Green. And I think that's where my mind went in this in this scenario. And that's how I ended up with that. Uh, let me ask you this, Evan. I know we ended up, the Nets ended up on Jeff Green because they missed out, missed out on a free agent in Serge Ibaka. <laughs> Would you want Jeff Green for next year or Serge Ibaka coming off back surgery? I'd want Jeff Green. <laughs> crazy right well you know the other thing that i think i have on my mind about this and i i didn't mention this as a factor but it probably is i can't i think it's all my mind jeff green signed for the veterans minimum is he gonna sign for the veterans minimum again you know what i mean like oh, is jeff yeah. green gonna come back on that same type of deal blake griffin also similar thing even though he was a buyout but blake griffin's gonna need the mid-level exception that's how he's going to sign so are they going to be able to sign those two veterans when they don't have the bird rights on either? Like, is Jeff Green going to be cool? I'm coming back on a vet's minimum. Is Blake going to be cool with a part, if not all, of the mid-level? Is, you know, Bruce Brown and Spencer Dinwiddie are different because the Nets really, they run the show here. You know, they have the bird rights on Dinwiddie. We mentioned the tax. Same thing with Bruce Brown. They can match any contract he's restricted. The negative for the Nets and really for Joseph Sy is that the tax bill would be off the charts. And I, and I acknowledge that. Like if they match some kind of big Bruce Brown contract and they re-sign Spencer Dinwiddie, it is going to be a historic tax bill. It will put all other payrolls to shame. And I'll thank Joseph Sai. I'll think it's awesome. Uh, but then there's a part of me that'll resent him for not doing it because it's just money. Right. And I know that's not rational, by the way. I'm just being honest that it's going because well, here, here's the thing, man. If they don't bring guys back because of a billionaire's tax bill, I can't in good conscience tell net fans, oh, don't worry, it makes sense. Like, no, I'm I'm not counting right. someone else's money to say, well, they saved a few million dollars. That's why it makes sense. It serves no benefit to me and you as fans. Like, the Nets don't get any benefit to not paying a huge tax bill. It's not like, ooh, they've collected something that they can right. use for a player at another point. So I can never bring myself to saying to fellow Net fans, oh, it makes sense because it's a really big tax bill. I mean, okay, it's not my tax bill. Well, how about this? Because everybody always says, well, you know, the Nets aren't really run by Sean Marks. He's not the one really making decisions. It's really Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. And I guess now maybe we could lump James Harden into that conversation. If they were, you know, as everybody says, running the Nets, what kind of perspective do they give to Sean Marks when, when they go, okay, here's our situation. Who do we resign? What kind of influence do they have on Marks in the organization and Joe Sy? 
in figuring out which guys come back. I'd be kind of curious that input because we've always talked about how those are the guys really running the organization anyway. Yeah, it's look, I think a lot of when I say that and other people say it, there's truth to it. But I also think there's moments when they're just not running the organization. You know, I'm not like, honestly, I don't know if Kevin Durant has any involvement in Spencer Dinwiddie's free agency. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So I think sometimes it's one of those things that's completely overblown. But Man, I just can't wait to see it happen now. I'm so glad the NBA Finals are over. I'm so yes. glad that we don't have to hear about it. And the offseason, I think, is more refreshing for us because even though we're still licking our wounds from losing, at least there's new things to bite into. And that's yes. what the hell is this roster going to look like as opposed to Giannis Antetokounmpo's legacy and, you know, whatever BS argument ESPN and Fox Sports want to bring up. So wait, right now, uh, Kevin Durant's two rings or Giannis's one, what would you rather have? <laughs> <laughs> Shut oh up. My God. I, you know what? When we win a championship, and yeah, I'll say when, because I'll be optimistic. It's July. It's a year from now. When we win a title, I will hysterically laugh at every debate show's question the next few days because I'm not going to give a rat's ass. I'm going to be mm-hmm. so drunk from that parade that and hungover, but smiling that I'm not going to care about, well, does this uh, Kevin Durant title count as much? Shut mm-hmm. up. It all counts for us. That's all that matters. Mm. Yeah. I want that hangover, Evan. Sounds nice. I know. I know. So that's a little uh, snippet of the offseason. We'll do a little bit more. The draft's obviously coming up. Yawn. You know, I, I look, we'll obviously fall in love with whoever Sean Marks drafts and get all excited about him finding a diamond in the rough. But it's very difficult to get excited for the NBA well, draft. Well, last year they traded Bay, you know, well, the pick. And then the Sadiq Bay, yeah. Yeah, and then we ended up, ended up with Landry Shamit. So, I guess it, uh, to me, I think it's more interesting if the Nets. I don't. I don't. I think it's more interesting not who they pick. It's if they do pick. Like to me, that's the interesting angle well, with the Nets because they're in win mode. He, here's what they should be doing, and I'm not sure the value of this and if they could pull this off. So they have three second round picks, and they have their own first round pick. My focus would be on getting picks for next year. Because they don't have their pick next year. That's, you know, pick number one that they sent to Houston for James Harden. So having three twos and a first, obviously those four guys are not all going to be on the net roster. They're not going to use all of those picks. Can you somehow, you know, use those assets to kind of get into next year's draft? And that would be my thought as far as, you know, what you can do, you know, because I don't know if they're necessarily going to pull off what they were able to pull off last year you know, a draft day trade for an NBA ready player. So to me, it would all be about, can I collect future assets for down the road? Because they are going to have to pay the piper in terms of draft picks from the James Harden trade, but we'll analyze it after the draft occurs. We'll get more into the off season. Uh, Mike, I'm glad that you're feeling better. I'm <laughs> starting you, to feel Evan. better. The finals yeah. are over. Our long national nightmare has finally ended. Ah, it feels Thank good. You. Yes, thank God that crap is done. Who won the finals, by the way? Didn't Phoenix win? Oh, no, yeah, no. It was no. <laughs> and you can listen to Bisagli. He's got a great podcast called the, uh, the uh, hold on, the Fair Weather. The, the, um, the, <laughs> I'm just going to leave you hanging here. No, no, I no, like, I got the, it. The Bad Weather Fans. No, nah, I appreciate it, Evan, yeah. No, no, I love the podcast. I'm not going to lie to you, though. I haven't listened since the Nets got eliminated. I understand. I, I just it. can't. I can't. I'm sure there are people not listening to our podcast since the Nets got eliminated. So it works both I ways. It. I get it. No, I get it. It's um, 
it's just hard. It's everywhere. And I'm just like, you can't avoid it. You go on Twitter, you go on Instagram, you go on YouTube. Today I had to see PJ Tucker drunk. You just can't avoid it. God, it sucks. All right. Thanks, Thanks everybody, for listening to this edition of the Brooklyn Basketball Podcast.